Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 222. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today's conversation is such an interesting one. I am really excited for you to hear from Courtney Carver, the author of Project 333, the minimalist fashion challenge that proves less really is so much more, who's also the writer behind the simplicity blog, BeMoreWithLess.com. She has a really interesting story about her journey from living in excess and in debt and kind of on the hamster wheel of stress and ambition and overwhelm that so many of us are familiar with. Uh, that changed one day when she got a life-altering diagnosis that led her on the path to minimalism and bringing more simplicity back into her life in every different arena. So. If you are feeling a lot of stress right now, which I think most of us are, and wondering what bringing more simplicity into your life could do for you and what that might look like and how it can bring you back to that which is most important, you're going to love Courtney and you're going to love what she has to share today. On that note, I know that simplicity is a challenge when it comes to navigating the job search, especially right now. So we here at Bossed Up have put together our latest totally free downloadable guide to help you provide a simple step-by-step format to follow when it comes to launching a modern job search. You can head to bossedup.org slash job search to download the free guide that is specifically tailored to women who are putting themselves out there, heading out on the job hunt and want to do so in a way that is mindful and deliberate and structured in a way to get you what you really want. We've gotten such great feedback early on from those who've already downloaded it and made use of it, and I hope it is of service to you. All right, let's jump into today's conversation on bringing simplicity to your life with author, blogger, and all-around incredible person, Courtney Carver. Courtney, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I'm delighted to talk with you about the core principles behind your work in minimalism and bringing simplicity to our lives. And I have to just say, it feels like now more than ever when we are in our homes and life has slowed down, not by choice for any of us, that these principles are more important than ever. So thanks for being here. In my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about how you came to this work. How did you become a minimalism expert? Well, it wasn't my goal to become this by any means. It wasn't even on my radar for a really long time. But in 2006, I was, I think, living kind of the typical 
American dream in that I was working all the time, deep in debt, always thinking that I needed more and Mm. always aspiring to have more. More was definitely my solution to everything. Like have to make more money to throw, throw it at the bills, have to buy myself more things to feel better about the crappy job I have. Mm. Uh, It was just this vicious circle that I didn't really recognize as being a problem because it really did feel normal. Um, Just looking around me, people were living in, in homes with giant mortgage payments and it wasn't as if there seemed to be an alternative. It just seemed like that was (laughs) the path. And I was on that path. And then in 2006, uh, I got my wake up call that there might be something different when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And it came on the heels of, you know, months of crazy deadlines and doing some volunteer work and just feeling overextended everywhere, time, money, energy. I was just, there wasn't enough, even though in hindsight, I always had more than enough of everything I really needed, but I always felt that there was this lack. And with this diagnosis, I had to kind of reflect on how I was living my life and what I needed to do to live well with the disease. And I should just note that I didn't get there on day one or day five. I don't know exactly when that happened, but There was some fear and uncertainty, of course, in the beginning, but when I realized that there were actions that I could take, I really moved into that kind of, you know, be my own advocate role so that I could potentially live well with MS in the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, it's such a gut-wrenching way to be forced to reconsider your path, right? Because the path you described being on is one that is so familiar to us and so familiar to most of my listeners because it's, you know, we've been conditioned our whole lives to be consumers. (laughs) It's kind of how America was designed. And so I think incorporating simplicity and self-acceptance and, you know, what that even means from a, a minimalist sort of perspective has so much resistance at first glance. Um, and it's very confusing even what that means. So your site, Be More With Less, really seems to express this connection between simplicity and love. And I'm intrigued by that. I wonder where your work has led you to. What is this lifestyle? What is this movement really about? Yeah, well, in the beginning for me, it wasn't even about simplicity or minimalism, I, or at least I didn't call it that. I didn't have those words. At the beginning for me, it was just about reducing stress Okay, for better health. So figuring out what parts of my life were stressful, which were all of them, <laughs> and figuring out how to make them less stressful. And the common thread through all of those changes was in fact, simplicity. And so I would say like, Level one was reducing stress. Level two was recognizing that stress and simplicity work together, you know, in terms of reducing stress. And then the next step for me, as I started to make more space in my home, more time in my day, I noticed that I was coming back to myself. 
and that I was coming back to love, to people I love, to work that I love, to spending time the way I love to spend time. And that just sealed the deal for me. I was like, it's great that it reduces stress, but wow, not only am I healthier and happier, but now I'm really engaged and connected to love. Yeah. I wonder to the person who hears that and says, I'm running around just trying to make ends meet. I'm like hustling hard. I've totally bought in on the hamster wheel that I've been running on for a long time. That's got to be hard to hear. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, of course. You're like, oh, Courtney, that must be so nice for you. Years of work in between me recognizing the first part to getting to the you know, next couple parts. And I think that's why it can feel overwhelming for someone who is perhaps deep in debt or doing way too much, or they own way too much, or they are, are in that place of feeling that like, because even when I was doing it all and had it all, it was, it never felt like enough. I always felt like I was falling behind. And when you're in that really overwhelmed state to hear someone say, Oh, simplicity is the way back to love. You just want to like pull your earpods out of your ears, right? <laughs> yeah. So tell us what that looked like. What were the incremental steps? Like, how did you get from that point to where you are today? It really was slow and steady change and changes that are still happening. I mean, 14 years later, which has surprised me. I thought I, I mm. would finish at some point, but <laughs> nope, <laughs> I just keep going. But it started as simple as evaluating what I was eating and how that might be causing stress or inflammation in my body. And I never followed a, a doctor recommended plan, but just by the research that I was doing and what felt good to me, I decided to experiment with um, cutting meat out of my diet. And I did that for quite a while uh, and then ended up doing some kind of testing in the raw vegan world and eventually landed on a diet that is a little bit of fish and seafood, mostly fruits and vegetables, and not being too obsessed about everything overall, because I think they're there, at least for me, there gets mm. to be this place where even just managing that gets to be too stressful. Like if I'm too rigid with what I'm eating. Yeah. I call that the flexitarian diet, which is, okay. is it's like intuitive eating meets really healthy eating meets, you know, not that's what I'm yourself up. <laughs> that, that's my diet today for sure. And, it, but it is something that I am often reassessing and just kind of seeing how my body is reacting to certain things. Like, are there foods that I eat at night that keep me awake or that mm. give me heartburn or whatever. And because it's really easy just to cut that stuff out for a while and see if I feel better. Mm -hmm. That's a good And point. then from there, I thought, what's the next most stressful thing in my life? And it was debt, like tens of thousands of dollars in consumer debt, a ridiculous mortgage. I mean, just a lot of debt. And because I went into debt so early in my life, like the minute I could put my hands on a credit card, I think I was 18. I never came up for air. Mm. And you get to this certain place, I think, when you're in debt, or at least I did, where it was so bad that I just thought, what does it even matter? Like, why wouldn't I just keep using my credit card? 
and pay the minimum. My credit mm-hmm. score probably sucks anyway. So why bother? Yeah. But I realized how stressful it was, you know, awaiting those collection calls, feeling really strapped for cash all the time, feeling like I wasn't managing my money well, which I wasn't. I could shut it down for a while and feel okay about it, but it would always resurface, like definitely once a month, if not more. And my husband and I started talking about it and we thought, what if we were just completely debt-free? What would that feel like? What would that look like? And we decided to to do that, to follow a plan and pay off all of our debt. It, it probably took us close to three years, but wow, what a difference that made in our, not only our money, but our relationship. I mean, it's just such a weight lifted to not owe people money. So much of our work here at Boss Stop and like a lot of the podcasts I've done have followed my own personal growth on the money front because I grew up in a family environment where finances still to my parents, like the first word that comes up for them with money is fear. It's just not good. It's like the whole subject matter is not a good feeling. And changing your relationship with money by doing the scary, hard, kind of embarrassing, almost shameful work that says, okay, we got to look at where we're at and really make a plan and maybe work with a pro and just totally transform our relationship with money. The other side of that is so freeing. It really is. Yeah. For any of the listeners who want to know more about that, I'll drop links to lots of related episodes on the money front, especially. But tell me how that impacted your journey to living simpler, because I I imagine it must have been huge. Well, what was interesting is while we were paying our debt off, I was really pulling back on the shopping, of course, because we wanted to get it done as soon as we could. And that's when I really started to notice the stuff that I owned and how that was causing stress too, because there were a lot of things in my home that weren't adding value to my life. I never used them. I didn't really care about them. But when I made that purchase, it was that hope that I would feel better or feel more successful or celebrate something. You know, it was never really the thing. It was the shopping for the thing where I would get that little bit of hope or or something, some feeling. There's like a dopamine hit there really, right? Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) And talk about easing pain. Like if something was really frustrating or I had a bad day of work or I felt really bored, I could shop that away instantly. Yeah. Retail therapy is called that for a reason. It sure is. What are some of the things you started? I mean, how did you resist that easy habit? Because if you're going from shopping your troubles away to trying to not and trying to take stock of the stuff you have and maybe reevaluate whether it's adding to your life or not, how do you find another coping mechanism? Like how did you soothe stress then? Well, it wasn't everything all at once. So it was kind of a a gradual process. So even though I wasn't shopping big items, I would still be picking up some things from my closet here or there. And then when we were really amping up the debt repayment and I started to notice more space in my house from decluttering and feeling healthier as a result because of the stress that was lifting, I had more confidence and momentum. And I think for all of these changes, they're all changes that I had tried to make before, but 
they never lasted, but it's because I didn't have this really solid reason for wanting to change. For me, it was protecting my health. I can't think of anything more important than being healthy and being well. So that was my motivator in the beginning to make all of these changes. And so when it felt frustrating, I would remember why I was doing it. And what ended up happening in terms of the shopping and finding another way to kind of ease that pain is I really turned towards self-care. Like, how can I really ease this pain? Not just for right now, but for longer periods of time, maybe some things forever. And also, what if I just feel this pain Mm -hmm. for a minute? (laughs) Yeah, that's the hard part. (laughs) That was a foreign concept for me. I'm like, what if I just get super uncomfortable and I figure out what this is all about because it was never about what I thought it was about. It would be like mm-hmm. me saying, oh, I'm so frustrated with my wardrobe or I'm so bored with my clothes. And then I would go shopping and forget that thought. And then I'd always get bored or frustrated again. But when I started sitting with that, I realized it had nothing to do with my clothes. Like my boredom had nothing to do with my closet, but something else was bugging me. And I had the space to be able to figure out what it was and really work on that. Yeah, that is so powerful and so hard because we live in a society that tells us to distract and to numb and to ignore and to suppress any negative emotion, really, especially for women. Like women's rage and discomfort is just not allowed to be aired in such a way. And when we give ourselves permission to really... I don't know, what Brene Brown would call like lean into the discomfort and sit with it. I think it's such a good reminder that there's often something behind our first instinct, which is to go buy that or go drink that or go eat that exactly, and just tune it out. Yeah. What is the biggest thing you got rid of stuff wise that like was the best thing you ever walked away from? Oh, I don't know if there was actually just one thing, but I know that after we got rid of like all of our, all the little stuff, like the extra measuring cups and the zillion coffee cups and Mm. the wire whisks and wooden spoons and clothes that didn't fit, like all the easy stuff as we got into those next layers and it became easier and easier, it just felt so freeing. And I remember before we downsized, I was like, why do we have a living room and a family room? And there's only three of us and they're both fully furnished. Mm -hmm. And how come I have a dining table with eight chairs in the dining room, a kitchen table with six chairs in the kitchen and a patio table with six or eight chairs on the porch. And there's three of us (laughs) like this is madness. And so we got rid of big furniture. So we had empty rooms in our house. That's wild. It was and, and great. It sounds like you downsized your house. Yeah, because then we're like, do, do we really need all this space? And I remember when we bought the house, it was all about, for me, it was all about, all right, what's the closet space like? How much cupboard space do we have? Yeah. How much, where can we store everything and put everything? And And then once you get into a house or a living space, you're like, all right, what am I supposed to have? I'm an adult with a house. So I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to have this and this and this and this. And it just goes on and on forever. Yeah. (laughs) It's so... Interesting to hear your perspective because I've, I think, unconsciously been very wary of that track my whole life. 
because I'm currently sitting in my 900 square foot house, which I love. And I have a bad feeling when I walk into homes that are big. Like I feel a little bit like I might float off the ground and like get detached from the planet. (laughs) You know, there's just like, I just never quite liked the vastness of how much stuff you can acquire. And I've been car free for close to 10 years now and have the most delightful mode of transportation when I'm not on an airplane flying from one event to the next speaking, which is a moped. Like I have a little scooter that I drive around all over the city of Denver. And it is like absolutely delightful to me, but also I have this weird fear of like someday I'm going to have to grow up. I'm like 32 and I'm like, someday I'm going to have to grow up and like get a big house and a car again and like acquire all this stuff. And I think I resist it in this like weird, fearful way. But maybe you don't have to do that. Like that's, that's really the question is why do we even have that thought like for right. you to grow up you have to get a bigger place and i i understand like i felt that my entire life like that's what you do you get a better job you make more money and then you get a bigger house and buy more stuff <laughs> yeah and when we were downsizing we were even asking those questions like are we taking a step backwards because people had their feelings about mm-hmm. what we were doing and how maybe this isn't a great time to sell a house maybe you should wait till the market bounces back and we're like wait Uh, are we going to wait 10 years or however long it might take for the market to bounce back to sell our house? Or are we going to go live our life the way we want to live our life? Mm -hmm. What's that worth to us? Like we can't make every single decision based on the financial. Yeah, you can't highs and lows. Like you just can't. And it does sound like you were part of a zeitgeist too, because the whole tiny house movement, not that I'm saying you're a tiny house person, but like the downsizing, living off the grid, I feel like post recession, there was a lot of people who were reevaluating, whether it's represented in the tiny house nation people or the rise of, you know, even Marie Kondo style minimalism and the popularity of that movement here in the States, it seems to be this generational or historic reaction to something, right? Perhaps, perhaps. I'm definitely not, like we have a two bedroom apartment. The tiny house thing I think is fantastic. It's not for me. Like I definitely (laughs) want a little bit more space, but yeah, I think it's great that there are such amazing solutions for smaller space living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just minimalism, I think, as a whole, has it not? I, I think there is. I mean, it's still not the majority here in the no. state, <laughs> but obviously. <laughs> but, but I wonder if you see it rising or if you see yourself part of a movement. It's hard to say because sometimes it feels like that, but it's because of the people I'm surrounded with on social media, for instance. And then I will speak to a group of people who might not be there to hear about minimalism and really get the sense that this is something brand new for most people. I think it's definitely growing. I mean, I wasn't hearing much about it before 2008, maybe. Yeah. Definitely. And then from 2010, when I started blogging, I felt like I was hearing much more, more about it, but I was also really immersed in that niche, so to speak. Right. 
little bit of confirmation bias, possibly. <laughs> totally, totally. I remember the SUVs that just kept getting bigger, the Hummers that just kept getting bigger between 2000 and 2008. And that has gone away. And I think for the best. So I do wonder for folks listening who are thinking, okay, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm ready to get curious here. It sounds interesting. While we are all basically locked into our homes, what are some practical ways to get started on this? So a couple things. I mean, right now, I don't think donation centers are accepting donations of, of stuff, like boxes right. of stuff. So I think it's about just separating your things if you have the room to do that. So just really, now that you're home, now that you're surrounded by your stuff all day long, you can have a good look and say, what am I really enjoying, using, needing, and what's just in the way. And especially right now where we're all cleaning so much, what am I just moving around to clean? That's when I really know something's in the way. If I have to keep moving it and I never use it other than to move it to clean a countertop, then it's not of value to me. (laughs) So that's a, a good place to start and just be putting it in bags or boxes and moving it aside just separating it, getting it out of your line of vision so that you can build a little more space in your home. I think another really great thing you could do right now is Project 333, which is a minimalist fashion challenge that I created back in 2010 that is still going strong to only have 33 items in your wardrobe every three months. And some people are like, well, I'm really only wearing three things right now, which are sweatpants and a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Because my you're at home. My favorite sweatpants and my favorite t-shirt. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Why not only have your favorite things in your closet at all times? That's kind of where I've landed. And even now, like I'm getting dressed every day. It's important for my own personal morale to be in clothes. Um, you know, I'm not wearing a suit by any means, but I wasn't wearing that before. So think about how you might get dressed every day in clothes that are comfortable, but maybe not your, I just want to sit on the couch all day. And unless that's what you want to do all day, which right, there's going to be time for that. <laughs> I like that. I think that's a good caveat. I made waves on a panel we hosted the other week when I said, You know, this week I made myself run every day and put pants on that weren't yoga pants. And people were like, what? The horror, (laughs) you know? And I have to say for my own mental well-being and my ability to get things done and feel relatively productive, those were prerequisites. Yeah, it's helping. Yeah, absolutely. And, And I'm curious as to how this works within a family context, right? Because you have described going on this journey with your partner, with children. For those right now who feel overwhelmed by the need to constantly add more stuff to their lives to entertain children, let's say, or to add to their relationships, how do you implement this kind of a journey in community with a family? Well, the first thing is, I think we have to recognize that we all need way less than we think to be happy, whether we're adults, whether we're thinking about our kids, everybody, we all have way too much. I would say at least probably the people who are listening to this show, for the most part, most people have more than they need. 
And you can start there by saying, and by experimenting like, okay, my kid has these 10 toys. What if they only had two, what would that look like for them? Would they be more engaged, less engaged? And without even having, depending on the age, obviously, right, like if right. they're too young to really have this conversation, just remove some of them and see how they go for a day with a couple of toys see if they are craving different types of interaction when they don't have 10 or 50 things to choose from. See if they're more creative by giving them some unconventional items to play with and entertain themselves with. It's all this real experimenting and challenging that got me to where I am today because I didn't want to make any permanent changes until I knew that they were going to be good for what I wanted to do, which was eliminate stress. I have to ask though, was your family all on board from the beginning? I don't know how to define on board. I think that some people say, Are, were you on the same page? I'm like, well, we were reading the same book. I don't know if we were all on the same page at the exact same time about everything. That would have been really weird, but they were supportive. So I remember like in the really early days when I was kind of switching from meat centric meals to veggie centric meals, my daughter and husband would be supportive, but they would also joke around and they'd be eating their dinner and they'd be like, Oh my gosh, you know, what would make this so good. Some meat, (laughs) meat would make this really good. (laughs) Here's the thing. I didn't try to change them. They still ate meat if they wanted to Mm -hmm. eat meat. I didn't, insist that my daughter declutter her closet. The stuff that I got rid of with my husband, we had conversations about. So in the very beginning, I really just focused on my stuff and I had plenty to focus on. So I didn't really even need to go there with them. But when it comes to the family stuff, I think you have the conversations and then really the easiest way to come to a place of agreement, I think, is to hide stuff. Just get it out of sight for a while and see if anybody even notices it's gone. I'd say <laughs> nine times out of 10, they will not. Nobody will remember that you that you removed it. And that just shows you how it wasn't working to begin with. Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. Well, I am delighted to hear that sometimes it's an iterative process. It's an experiment. And it's one that we all can start right now if we want to bring more simplicity into our lives. Obviously, you started this endeavor because of the pursuit of health and the health and wellness element to this is definitely not to be missed. What did you end up getting out of it? Or what do you think others listening could get out of the pursuit of simplicity? Well, I'm 14 years into my MS diagnosis and I haven't had a relapse for 12 and a half years. Wow. Uh, Now I have an amazing neurological team here in Salt Lake City where I live and they agree that yes, traditional medicine has been helpful, but the lifestyle changes that I've made have really contributed as well. And I'm sure it doesn't just contribute to MS, but to other conditions, you know, keeping a low stress lifestyle helps your immune system. It for sure helps you build resilience for stressful situations that you cannot control, um, which of course they 
they are still coming. I mean, even though I reduced a lot of stress from my life, there's still stress in my life. Right. It's definitely made my family much closer. I think that we're all more present with each other because we're not dealing with a lot of the excess that we were dealing with many years ago. And it just reminds me of the opportunity we all have to really craft our lives in a way that we can spend time the way we want to spend time. We can use our money the way that we want to use our money. Like we have all these choices and we don't have to live that autopilot lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's such a good reminder. Yeah. The agency is there all along. It's not easy to get off a well-worn path. <laughs> so I, I love this conversation, Courtney, and really appreciate you spending time with us today just to share your journey and, and share some practical ways to start thinking about what more simplicity in your life could do for you. Where can our listeners who want to learn more about you and your great work and Project 333 read all about it? They can visit my website, bemorewithless.com or connect with me on Instagram at bemorewithless. And I just want to mention that I've got a book about Project 333 that is now out so they can learn more about it there. Awesome. I will drop links to all of those wonderful places in today's show notes. Courtney, thanks again for joining me here. Thank you. For those who want to learn more about Courtney Carver and her fantastic site, Be More With Less, head to our show notes page on the Bossed Up blog at bossedup.org slash episode 222. You can learn more about her project 333, 333. It is just a coincidence, by the way, that that ended up being her... Uh, her episode number, but what a funny coincidence that is. And how delightful was it to hear from her? I hope you loved hearing her story as much as I did. I actually met Courtney first when we shared a stage together as panelists on, uh, where was it? The Massachusetts Conference on Women a year and a half ago now. And I'm delighted our paths crossed again so that she could bring to you her message of simplicity and what's on the other side of it for all of us. All right, now it is time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. All right, this week's Boss Move comes in from KG in the Bossed Up uh, Courage community on Facebook. Here's what she wrote. Some of you may remember my story about being laid off two weeks ago. I'm happy to say that I got a few job offers this week for bridge jobs to keep the income flowing and also long-term roles. I also have seven serious interviews lined up. I am so grateful for this community and all the things I'm constantly learning from y'all and the Bossed Up podcast. We love you, KG. Thank you. And some things that helped me include, number one, I was constantly updating my brag book, resume, LinkedIn, and saving work samples for future employers. Excellent point, KG. For those who don't know what a brag book is, you've got to hear our podcast on that. I will link to it in the show notes. Step two, every month I was applying for jobs that align with my career because I don't really trust employers like that and can't afford to miss a paycheck. I love this. Always be looking. And number three, I was going to a lot of community roundtables and lunch and learn events to make my face familiar and hear about openings that aren't posted online. Such a good tip here. 
Sending love to all those who are job hunting during this health crisis. Heart. KG, this is such a boss move. I am so proud of you. And it sounds like you are, you're following the bossed up playbook every step of the way. And it is paying off. Kudos to you for being on top of your job search, even before you knew you needed it. And congrats on all the progress you've seen thus far. We can't wait to hear an update on when you get the job that you want, which I'm confident you will, given what you are doing to make it happen. All right, y'all, that's all I've got for you today. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on Courtney Carver bringing simplicity to your life right now and the new simple step-by-step guide for launching your job search if that is where you find yourself right now. Again, you can head to bossedup.org slash job search to find our new free downloadable guide. All right, y'all, until next time, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb. 